welcome to Force Bikes. We are on episode number 13. As always, I'm your host, Jonathan, joined by my co-host, Greg. Say hi, Greg. Hello. And uh, we're also joined by our co-host, Russ Lilly. Say hi, Russ. Hey, everybody. And we have a special co-host on today. Actually, more of a guest than co-host. Uh, we have Sean Catanese from JudgeCast. Uh, hello, Sean. How's it going, gentlemen? Very good, very good. Um, and uh, we are... Really honored to have you on today because I think you're the first judge to join us uh, as a guest on our show. We've had quite a few guests um, come on, but really it's pretty cool to have you on because, first of all, we're huge fans of your show. Um, I listen regularly, and Greg went on a marathon session recently going through every single podcast you guys have put out, um, except for the most recent one. Yeah, I'm I'm halfway through the 21st of 23 episodes. I appreciate hearing that. That uh, means a lot to know we've got dedicated listeners out there. Um, you guys also do an awesome show. I think from the, from the very beginning, uh, you've sort of surpassed us in the number of episodes that you've put out, which uh, you said earlier you listen regularly. I, I find that difficult to believe uh, because we don't put them out regularly. <laughs> I listen um, as, as regularly as you guys put it out, um, and sure, I wish sure. it was more regular. Uh, because Me too. That's yeah, a, you guys. And well, the, the other thing I miss is uh, is is more Ricky Hayashi on your show. Although you and Jose do a great job, of course. Um, Ricky was he kind of started off those first few episodes and then kind of like drifted in and out, and now is more of an of a guest, I would say, than a regular co-host. Um, what's up with that? Well, when you start working for Star City Games, um, and you start off at a dream job like like Ricky had or has, I'm rather, he's he's because he's been doing that for so long. Um, now it's just sort of an uh, amazing thing that basically sucks all of his time that he would normally be spending with us. Now the other thing is that we're in California, he's in Virginia, so there's a three hour time difference, and um, I, I know we kind of ran into our own technical difficulties in getting the two hour time difference between Wisconsin and California worked out. <laughs> Um, you can imagine with Ricky, you know, his schedule and all the rest of it. Um, and he's also, you know, moving around the country to all their open weekends, um, you know, on a constant basis. So, um, his schedule is really hectic, but he's living the dream. So, uh, really can't begrudge that at all. And he's still, um, really fantastic. Got to spend more time with him, um, at Worlds. Didn't interview him really because, I mean, you've heard all there is to hear from Ricky Hayashi in terms of, uh, JudgeCast type content probably for a little while, but, for the um, you know, he's definitely a big part of the program and was instrumental in making Worlds a successful, uh, successful event. Wow! Hey, and so well, he. And, oh, go ahead. No, oh, I was just going to say I think that uh, definitely the upside uh, here is that it sounds like uh, from your last couple of casts that things have kind of calmed down for you. Um, that Worlds is kind of uh, over and and things are calming down with the move and things like that. So it sounds like you guys are on track to um, be a little more regular in your your uh, production, which is awesome. I think everybody's looking forward to that. Yeah, I think that's true. When we're trying to, with Jose and I, we're trying to get into a schedule where we can uh, record one week, edit the next, record one week, edit the next. So we get at least some regularity where a couple episodes a month. Um, and that's being better than the one, you know, once every six weeks or, oh, maybe we'll do three in a week and then we'll, you know, spend a t- long time recording and actually editing those out. It, it, it uh, yeah, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, we don't have any sponsors. We don't have any any setup like that. So, I mean, the closest thing to sponsorship we've got is is the is Wizards sending me to Worlds for this, and we did get a lot of great content from that. But it's not the same as having sort of that motivation of like, well, my sponsor will kick my ass if I don't, you know, don't do this mm-hmm. right. Um, sure. And that so, 
if any sponsor is listening out there, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> if they are, we call them. <laughs> Absolutely. We're, we're actually in the same in the same boat. Uh, and recently, we've been we've been slipping a little bit from um, when we when we first started. Uh, we were very consistent with either one every week, uh, or even in in many cases, just uh, just like four or five days between episodes, and especially for. For the, for the majority of our episodes, our episodes are less uh, governed, or should I say, uh, disciplined, to keeping under an hour. We're we're a little little higher in our in our timeline, so um, that content becomes pretty obnoxious to to edit, which is all edited by Jonathan. So um, mm-hmm. we we are in the same situation where we initially were trying to go once every week and. Um, in the month of December, we've we've slipped quite a bit on that um, due to the holidays and just some crazy things going on in in, in both of our lives. Um, yeah. But uh, well, I definitely hope you guys uh, can keep it up because uh, I mean keep up the the consistency because um, you know it's great to have a variety of podcasts out there. But you know you've seen a lot of them come and go or come and go and come back. Like uh, you know Avant Karcha just got back into the swing of things. Um, I definitely be good to see um, a lot of a lot more of the the community. Getting on that regular basis, and it's real hard to do. Um, I, you know, I respect your efforts in that definitely. Yeah, thank you. And uh, yeah, we are going to be doing a more consistent show for at least the next month. My work has calmed down a little bit, and uh, Diana, my uh, significant other, is actually out of the country right now. She's in South Africa doing some HIV work, so I will have a little more time to edit. Um, and uh, cry because I'm so lonely. So that's just yeah. That's a plea to Greg to make sure to continue to get on me to organize more drafts to keep me busy. But yeah, it, it it's kind of a challenge when real life gets in the way, and that that's a good segue into uh, what I wanted to ask you about, uh, Sean, because mm-hmm. as a judge, and especially in the position you're in, you're it's it's not exactly it's not a profession, but you get flown around. You you know we're flown to Japan for this event, uh, but it's it's not something that you can support yourself on full time. But sometimes the requirements are demanding, almost like that of a full time job. But you enjoy it much more in a full time job, and it's as, you know much for that as for anything else. And it kind of occupies a weird space. How do you find the balance between? Your significant other, your real life, and your your magic work. Because I could just imagine between the show and all your judging, it's such a significant amount of time investment. Well, you know, I'm definitely not. Um, you know, I, I, I joke that I I got a degree in saving the world, you know, international relations, peace and conflict resolution, that sort of thing. Um, and I'm really not using that skill at all. Um, so, you know, maybe the world's suffering a little bit for me not using that and getting out there, but, um, so you're actually, the guy yeah. I heard about that Rwanda thing. Is that you? Right. Well, and realistically, though, um, you know, I do have the most wonderful wife, uh, that a, a guy could hope for in that she supports this, uh, addiction of mine, um, in the best of all possible ways. Um, and she really does, you know, Lindsay's fantastic, um, you know, in, in very supportive. And I think, you know, really getting the sponsorship for Worlds sort of was that Rubicon for her crossing that and getting getting that sponsorship was sort of a, a thing where she sort of sat up and noticed and, and really saw, wow, you know, I 
this this can take us places and and make awesome things happen for our lives. It's just a matter of, of putting that time and dedication in and then seeing it uh, sort of come to fruition. Now, the other side of this too is that um, it does take a lot of time. Absolutely, um, you know, I've got a normal nine to five job, forty hours a week, that sort of thing, um, and it doesn't really allow for a whole lot of flexibility for me to take extra time off or anything like that to go judge. Um, so the actual pressures of, you know, I want to go to Grand Prix Denver. I want to go to really every star city open weekend West of Mississippi. Um, well, I just realistically don't have the time off that I can do all that. Um, because it also don't have the funds to do it because there's, I mean, yes, they do, pay for sponsorship for pro tours, uh, for flying judges to those. Um, but generally speaking, the criteria that they use, um, those are, that's sort of a, a, a nebulous criteria, but it, it depends, especially if you're going to get uh, tested for level three um, at that pro tour, chances, your chances are very good of getting uh, sponsorship there. Um, if you're going to go for uh, a specific sort of, if you're, if you're one of the only judges in your area, um, that's a good chance to get sponsored. If you're trying to develop your community and you've been visible in your community, that's a good way to get sponsored. Um, I really think without JudgeCast, I wouldn't have gone to Japan at all. I wouldn't have been flown to Worlds at all. Um, and that's, you know, I have the, the listeners to thank for that also. So that's a big part of it. Um, also, when you when you take all this time, it's a, you know, it, it's hard to um, pay for it all the time because you don't get your tickets paid for really. Um, you know, at the end of a uh, Star City Open weekend, they might give you a packet of foils, um, and that'll have some number of foils in it. And you could sell those right back to Star City, right back to the dealer there, for a certain amount of money. But chances are, if you're coming, you know, more than more than probably a two-hour flight or three-hour flight, you're not going to recoup the full cost of that. Um, even if you, you know, sell the box of product that you get, um, I, I mean, for a pro tour, you only get one box of product as a gift from Wizards for working the entire event. Wow. Um, for a Grand Prix, it's one box per day usually because that's given to you by the tournament organizer. Um, and sometimes if turnout's really awesome, then it'll be one and a half boxes per day or something like that. Wow. Um, but again, that's that's sort of a rule of thumb. It's not a hard, fast requirement that Wizards places on on the the TO to say you have to give this much. Um, and the other side of it too is that you know it, it, you start uh, worrying about well, do I have to pay taxes on this, and how does that all work? Um, it, it gets a little bit messy. Um, so, and actually, American judges we have it really easy. That's one thing I found out in Japan. We have it really easy. Um, well, for instance, I met uh, one of the one of the great judges I, I became good friends with uh, there. Um, he go by he goes by the name of Smith Lowe, um, and he's from Thailand. Um, and his you know, he he talked to me. We we, we talked a lot about um, sort of why and how uh, judging works internationally, especially for him. And for him, coming from Thailand to Japan to test for level three, he passed by the way. So he's one of the new, one of the eight level threes that passed at Worlds. Um, he, you know, he had to get a visa uh, from from Thailand to Japan. And if he had not had full sponsorship from Wizards, it would have been cost prohibitive for him to do that, just based on the amount of money it would have been. Um, but also. Um, the the wrangling involved in getting a visa to Japan as a tourist from Thailand is difficult, really difficult. Did he mention it was for uh, magic? 
Well, that's another thing that a lot of judges who are crossing international borders uh, to to go to events face, and that is that, uh, for instance, if a Canadian judge comes down across the border, um, he can't say, well, I'm going to go volunteer at this event or I'm going to go work at this event because then you're getting into, into issues of his work visa, you know, those sorts of issues. Um, same thing goes for me going up to Grand Prix Toronto if I wanted to do that or Grand Prix Vancouver if I wanted to do that. Sure. Um, we run in, into an issue there where you're actually trans, you know, you, you can't say I'm going to go work at this. I'm going to volunteer at this event. Instead, you know, you're going for the tournament and it's a tourist trip. Um, but you're going to spend that, you know, 12, 14 hours a day on your feet, uh, concrete floors, you know, helping players have a good time at this event. Um, and you get some reward for that. But it's a very different experience, especially those international judges trying to get into the U.S. Uh, for events here um, or trying to go from a less developed country to a more developed country with strict immigration laws. It can be very difficult. Sure, um, sure. You know, so that, that visa, that issue, I mean, as an American, where all I have to worry about is recouping my ticket to Denver and back. You know, that's that's a lot less complicated than the folks that are doing it um, in Thailand or in, in Southeast Asia or really other parts of the world that don't have the, the same luxury that we do here. Well, uh, that sounds that sounds like a pretty incredible process for the international judges and judges. Excuse mm-hmm. me. Um, one of the other things uh, that is pretty incredible on that end is. As you mentioned in your last podcast, the language barrier. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, actually, uh, I'm getting a message. Looks like Greg has a question, right quick, and then we'll go into the language thing. Go for it, Greg. Yeah, um, I have some. I have a question that's that's related to what you were just talking about. Uh, it's something that while I was listening to the early uh, podcasts, uh, your early podcast, I was really, really getting interested in, and I think that I've I've gotten. A, an answer, but I'd like to pose kind of a, a dumb question for you, see your response, and then um, kind of compare results, if you will. Um, so basically what, I, what I'm getting at is that early on, uh, especially when it was just you and, and Ricky, uh, it, was, it was evident that you guys were doing the podcast with the intent of trying to, um, A, bring a little bit of uh, information to people about what you guys do behind the scenes, but also be to try and encourage people to become judges. Is that is that more or less correct? Oh, definitely. That was definitely an early objective, and it, may, it remains an objective for JudgeCast as well. Um, I mean, I can't tell you the number of people that have contacted me and said, you know, I can't get a hold of my regional coordinator, or I can't get a hold of, of someone here, or I don't know who my regional coordinator is, you know, or or how do I become a judge? You know, that that simple question, um, and walking them through that process. Um, we've definitely helped the community grow, um, and not just within our you know local areas, Northern California, but also um, you know in other more rural places where you know they may not have access to a level two nearby. So they contact us and they say, well, who should I talk to? And then we'll you know we'll go on DCI Family and try to find somebody that, that can be a good mentor for them. Um, that's definitely something that we're we're still looking forward to doing whenever we have the opportunity. Um, but I, I would also say, yeah, you're, you're probably. I, Anticipating a little bit of your, your next part of your question, how that's changed, but um, no, I'll actually leave that to ask you for you to ask actually, because I'm not. I don't mean to presume. Yeah, well, what actually my, my question is is when I was when I was first go when I was first listening, you you were doing a very good job of of, of talking me into having that mindset of okay, 
what if I were a judge? What if I were to, to, to start down the path of becoming a judge? So it's something that I, that I started to consider as I was listening to podcast after podcast of nothing but judge talk. And um, I'm, I'm what is probably referred to um, not so kindly as a rules lawyer in our area and uh, just by, by the nature of the way that I, I approach the game. So being, coming at it from a different from a different approach, as maybe being a judge is something that is that fascinates the hell out of me. But the the, the question that I really um, was seeking early, and I think that I've I've more recently gotten some answers to, is what do you get for judging? Because my my exper- exposure early on and throughout my my history as a player is that um, a judge is somebody with whom you you. Um, give a lot of respect for what they do and the amount of hours they put in and the amount of work that they put in. But I've I've really looked at it as as work consistently. Whereas I look at playing the game as being um, a a hobby and one that as a player I have to pay for my hobby. But maybe if I do well enough, I can get paid back for. And as a as, as a judge, I assumed before that you get something for judging, but I didn't. That wasn't really sure. And I think my understanding is a little more educated as to what that is or um, is, but I, I, I'd like to give you an opportunity to, before I, before I answer my own question, give me more of an accurate answer. If you, if oh, absolutely. I mean, ju- absolutely. Judging has a ton of benefits to it. Um, I mean, it, it sounds cheesy to say that, that one of the, the primary benefits is the community that you become a part of and that sort of thing. Um, but honestly, it really is. I mean, the, the website that we all go to, to figure out um, what events we're going to be on and how we can discuss, you know, discuss the pre-planning for those events, um, and not just in the technical details, but also in the hey, where are we all going out for dinner afterward, or where are we going for? You know, do you all want to organize a trip to Disneyland? Uh, that that actually happened uh, the day after Worlds ended um, in Japan, where they all went to to Disneyland together. <laughs> um, so the community is actually real there. Um, and the, the website we go to is dcifamily.org, um, and it's usually reserved for, for just certified judges that can get into it, and you, know, you have to manual sign-up process, that sort of thing. Um, Adam Shaw, by the way, Level 4 from Connecticut, has been fantastic in getting that set up and, and, and really being the champion of that as a, a real community-building tool. Um, so, and actually, whenever you hear somebody talk about, within the judge community, talk about one of the resources that are available, um, Almost all the time, you'll hear them credit somebody in the community volunteering their time and effort to do that. Um, I mean, these are the sorts of things that um, you know. They're the only only level of judge that is actually called a professional judge is level five. That's what you know. That the the you have a professional at level five. Um, I think uh, either national at level four. I can't remember what level four is actually called. Probably national. I think. Um, Level three would be regional judge, and level uh, two is an area judge, and level one is a local judge. Uh, but level five, there's a professional sort of title associated with that. There are only four of those guys in the world. Sure. Um, and so it, their benefits are, are different, definitely, from what we have um, you know, as a, at myself as a level two judge. What I get out of judging, aside from the community, though, um, there is definitely a tangible benefit. Um, you know, when I go to uh, work at a PTQ for my local uh, tournament organizer, my local premier tournament organizer, um, when I talk to him about it, you know, he he usually will uh, give each one of his judges who are certified um, 
or who test and, and actually do attain their certification at the tournament, um, you usually get a box of the current set for your day's work there. Um, and that's, uh, from what I've understood from basically most of the judges that I've talked to around the country, that's a, a pretty typical day's pay, you, you might call it. Um, when I head judge a Grand Prix trial, um, normally I will uh, tie my uh, compensation when I'm talking with the store owner, you know, what we talk about compensation for that, it's um, some amount of store credit or some amount of packs or box or something like that. But it's also dependent upon turnout. So that way I have a vested interest in telling my guys that I know in the local area, hey, come out and play. Um, and so I have, but at the same time, I do get a benefit for that. Um, I think down at Superstars, um, the way they compensate their judges, uh, Superstars is the, the brick and mortar store behind channelfireball.com. Um, that they're down in San Jose, not far from me here. Uh, they, I think, compensate the judges uh, $10 in store credit per hour of whatever tournament they're working, regardless of what level they're at. Um, so you definitely get uh, certain tangible benefits, but um, and that's actually one of the ways that I have the kind of I'm very proud of the collection of cards I have right now. Um, you know, and, and the way that I got to that point was earning store credit at stores by running the ref and M's for them. Um, running, you know, PTQs, that sort of thing, um, and just sort of working toward that value. Um, so there's definitely a tangible benefit. Now, the other side, that the flashiest side of, of judging and the tangible benefits is, of course, the judge foils. Um, those come as a gift from Wizards, as sort of a thank you for doing hard work, uh, usually at the end of a Grand Prix or a Pro Tour um, or also they, they normally associate that with uh, 5K type events. Um, but you know, the, I know there are a number of, of sites and stores and places that are running those these days, um, and normally they associate some number of foils. I know that that number has been declining as the number of events has been expanding because uh, they just become more and more common, um, and it's hard for wizards to keep up that supply while also maintaining the the sort of mystical value of of these foils for the people who who actually get them. Um, you know, if I was getting a you know, uh, a playset of every current foil in the current year. It's rare. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean you, you look at, uh, if you look on eBay for that uh, old school frame sort of fire and ice that we all got one of at Worlds, I think I, I looked at the finished auctions and they were going for like 170 bucks. Um, you know, are they going for, for and it's the, the one card granted that everyone else got, um, or the sinkholes are going for, you know, 240 bucks for a playset. You know, I mean, that's a, a, a decent payback um, that can definitely help pay for your flight if you sell them. Um, a lot of the European judges do that; they sell their cards that way. Um, a lot of the American judges do that also to get you know to get their airfare paid for. Um, the downside of that is that you don't get to keep that tangible, valuable thing um, because you're selling it to pay for the flight, or you're selling it to pay for your travel costs. Um, so the travel itself becomes a reward as well. Um, so there's there's definitely um, a lot of upsides to it. Um, it depends on sort of whether you want to hang on to, you know, the foil fetches that you get or the foil, um, you know, morphlings or other things like that. Um, you want to hold on to them. That's, that's your choice, but you're also being given them sort of as a way to compensate you for the time and effort you've put in. Um, and definitely at the higher levels, they do get more perks, more benefits. Um, for instance, at level three, um, you get two boxes of every set as they come out, um, shipped to you uh, by Wizards. Oh, really? 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I did not know I, that at all. Uh, see, now, this is the first this is the first thing you mentioned that I haven't gleaned off of you know all of the episodes that I've listened to. Um, yeah. That's something that I certainly haven't heard of anybody. That's fascinating. Yeah. Well, and also, well, it is. It is. And at level three, um, you also get one of the holiday promo cards usually. Oh, sure. Um, um, so you know, and, and they they usually have other things that they give out to judges. Like um, toward the end of, I think the end of 2008, we all every judge in the program, level one or or five or wherever you were, got a letter from Wizards uh, saying, "Hey, thanks for being a certified judge and working so hard to make this game awesome." And inside that that envelope with that letter in it was a foil dark ritual. Um, so that just got sent to every judge, and you know, there's about 2,000 judges in the in the program. Um, so that it was just you know decided to send that out at the end of the year as a thank you. Um, so we definitely do have other tangible benefits for it. Um, for a while, they were doing a, a a program where if you got stores to start up their FNM, you would get foils for that. Um, or if you got you know if you started judging FNM at a place uh, or playing in an FNM, you'd, you'd get foils for you know being a part of the community that way. Um, they only did that for a few months to just sort of get judges to actually go to FNM and do that. Um, now they don't actually give that out anymore, but that that was one thing they did for a little while. Cool. So, I mean, if I can interpret from my perspective, if you don't if you don't mind rehashing of a little bit of it. Um, so, what what I liked that what in your answer specifically was that you focused after touching on some of the intangible benefits. I, I can see a lot of the intangible benefits, but from the from the tangible side, seen a lot of um, haven't known a lot of them prior to listening to your podcast, and you just kind of went through most of the tangible benefits, which is really what I was looking for, because it's hard from if if you look at it more like a job than playing, it's hard to to not think about well what what is the tangible benefit from that, especially as a, as a spike player, when I've got a little bit of a, I've got a, I've got a fairly large opportunity cost every time that I'm, I would be judging that I w- would not be eligible to play in that particular event and potentially uh, do well and potentially you know, win something or whatever. But it, I guess from, from if, if I can interpret what you're saying, you're basically saying is you're you're a volunteer, but you're more than just a volunteer. You're a volunteer that specifically is a community organizer for uh, you know something that you that you love, something that you're passionate about, and and it's both a, it's both that and also a hobby unto itself. And you're giving back to the community, but it, oh yeah, but yeah, in definitely. and of that in and of that you have uh, some different ways where you are compensated. So it is not just strictly a like an unpaid volunteer. But at the same time, it's not really a a, a job. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the the end of the day, I mean, keep it fair and keep it fun doesn't just apply to what we do to players um, and what we do to the tournament. It also applies to how we approach the job. Um, and yeah, we can we can call it a job in in a sense that you know yeah you're you're definitely um, putting forth some effort and you're getting a reward for it. But at the same time. Um, you know, it is a labor of love. Um, what I had in a, there's a story here from a, one of our local stores in the Sacramento region. Um, just a brief one here. Um, when I started working with Ricky on some ideas of how we can develop the community, you know, this podcast, uh, JudgeCast, was one of those ideas that he came up with and said, "Hey, uh, you know, let's try doing this." 
another one was a, a project that hasn't really flourished as much as I'd like it to, and it's partially because I've been focusing on the podcast, but um, he called it Project um, Ohos, or One Judge, One Store. And the idea is that we go to each of the stores that run Friday Night Magic in our communities, and we talk to the owners of those stores, talk to the managers, the employees, and try to show them the benefits of having a judge there on staff, you know, and, and, and not necessarily as a paid employee, but to encourage one of their players to become a judge or encourage sort you, you use the term rules lawyer. I prefer the term rules guru. Um, but you know, encourage that person at their store to become a judge and sort of bring the eyes of the DCI into that, into that venue. Um, but then also, have connect that community there, that small local store community with the larger network of judges, network of knowledge, and you know be able to promote some consistency, um, be able to you know share lessons learned, that sort of thing um, across that larger network. And the idea, and we have we had in Sacramento, I think nine stores that ran F and M within about a thirty minute drive of my front door when I lived there. Um, I mean that was a, a fantastic community to be a part of. Um, and one of those stores, when they just opened up, you know, I walked over to them and said, Hey, um, I'm interested in helping you guys out. Hi, my name's Sean. I'm a judge, blah, blah, blah. Explained to them about how tournament organizing worked, how judging worked, why judges were, you know, why I was there to help them. And their first question was, well, what's in it for you? Um, you know, why are you, why are you coming to me and giving me this spiel? Because, you know, it sounds to me like it's all benefit for us. You know, why would you wait, spend your time doing this? Um, and my answer to them was that you know, there's the tangible benefits of you know, this is going to help me um, make sure that I you know do my, achieve these own goals I've set for myself to certify a certain number of people or to to connect with a certain number of stores that I've set for my internal improvement so that I can you know go into an interview for level three at some day and say you know I really have contributed to my community and here's how. But also, um, this is a game that I love. I've invested a ton of time, money, blood, sweat, and tears into this game. And I want to see it succeed. And if it can succeed here, fantastic. Let me help you. Um, and that's, that's really what that comes down to, is, is helping that community uh, succeed. Because the game is nothing without the community of players that make it fun to be a part of. It's, it's nothing without that. Um, you know, it's just a bunch of cardboard sitting on a shelf somewhere in my in in my office here. I'd much rather have a community that I can trust in and that I want to go play in, which means that I have to be, you know, if I don't see it fair and fun, then I have to take the initiative and go out there and say, you know, I'm I'm willing to help out and make that happen, um, and that's it's worthwhile for me. Um, you know, other people simply sit back and enjoy the game. Fantastic. I mean, it, there's nothing wrong with that at all because. If all of us were judges, nobody would be playing in a tournament. <laughs> um, so there's definitely got to be some some time for you know actually sitting back and having fun. The other side of it too is that my expected value going into a PTQ is not that high. Um, I mean, yes, there are fantastic judges out there that that are are high level pro players. I mean, uh, Bram Snetfengers was just recently inducted into the Hall of Fame. He's a he's a judge, um, but nonetheless. Um, <laughs> there's that saying that uh, those that can't do teach um, and those that can't teach teach gym well what they actually you know uh, 
those that can't play judge. Uh, now that's not really the case. Um, it's it's actually you know I think if you look at the average rating for a player uh, versus an average rating for a judge, you, you'd probably see that the judges are on average a little bit higher. Um, but again, you're taking all the players in the world or even all the pros. I I don't know what what you'd come up with, but you definitely uh, you know we're not too shabby, uh, but we're not you know we're not LSV either. Not all of us at least. Except for LSV, who's also a judge. <laughs> well, he, you know, actually, I think he lapsed recently. Um, I know there, he, he was a judge for a long time. Um, I don't. Basically, you have to work an event sometime in a year, uh, either you know, just as an F and M, or just be listed as the head judge for an event um, that gets reported to DCI. And I think he let his lapse. Um, which is kind of disappointing because <laughs> I think uh, when I told you earlier about the dark ritual that got mailed out to everybody, I think he accidentally threw his away, not knowing that there was a dark ritual in the envelope. He just pulled out the letter and said, oh, it's a neat letter, and read it, and then threw the envelope away. Um, he complained about that later, if I remember right. Um, Sad times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sure it's. I mean, he can go buy one if he really wants one, but probably, yeah. So... If it's okay, I kind of wanted to uh, talk a little bit about uh, something that you said on an earlier uh, cast that I, I think is just really interesting um, and, and something that probably doesn't get a whole lot of, of thought from the magic community. Um, and this kind of relates, uh, I guess, a, a little bit to uh, the incident with Saito um, in sort of a ch- tangential way. But one of the things you were talking about is is sort of the way that uh, – violations are handled or are kind of seen by the judging community and that you don't really look for uh, actual violations necessarily, but look for sort of indicators of that kind of behavior and that that the DCI doesn't really look for proving guilt or innocence when there's a violation, that they look for behaviors that are kind of indicative of violating the rules. And I, I think that's something that's really interesting. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, yeah. I mean, the first thing to remember in all of this is that the DCI is not the American legal system. Um, there's no burden of proof. There's no uh, assumption of, of innocence. There's not nothing like that at all. This is a game that Wizards publishes that we all love and play. But when it comes down to something going wrong in the game, um, Wizards is very, very direct in saying that the head judge is the final arbiter in anything that happens at that tournament. He's, you know, that, that head judge controls what goes on there. He or she is, is uh, unassailable in terms of their authority. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the, the other side of that, too, is that um, when an investigation leads to a disqualification, that disqualification um, is definitely recorded um, at Wizards, and there's a whole uh, panel that reviews each, each disqualification that comes up and decides, you know, is this something that we need to take further action on? Now, further action means that, you know, they can, you know, have a, anything from a, a warning letter sent out to the player saying, look, we, we know that you were disqualified from this event. You really got to watch it in the future. Don't do this. Um, or it could be, you know, a, a lifetime ban. I mean, we saw that in the, in the case of uh, Peter Zaghetti, um, you know, where, where that happened uh, stemming from his actions at uh, Grand Prix Oakland earlier this year or earlier last year, I should say. Um, so you have th- that wide range of possibility. Um, and generally what happens um, is that, you know, the investigation process itself is not something that I'm actually part of. I mean, that panel is level three and higher. 
Um, and I'm not on that panel, so I can't really talk to the specifics of how that works. Now, if you want to actually get to the the list of of what goes on there and what they're willing to share, and this is uh, something that I think is is worthwhile in in for your listeners if they're really interested in how DQs work uh, past the actual investigation on site and what happens there. Um, if you actually go to the DCI <clears throat> um, community webpage, um, you. And I, I don't have the address handy here, but I'll, I'll send it to you guys so you can put it in the show notes. Um, but if you go there, there will actually be reports from each of the level four judges that are in charge of what they call spheres within the program. And that's basically components of the program that um, can be sort of grouped into what they call pillars. So we have pillars and spheres, and each of the level five judges is responsible for a pillar, and there are a bunch of level four judges underneath them <clears throat> that are responsible for these various spheres of certain types of policy or certain types of, the, of activities that go on in the program. Uh, one of those spheres is investigations. Um, <clears throat> and if you pardon me for a second here, I can actually get the, I want to get, make sure I get the judge's name right, uh, who's in charge of that there. So uh, give me just a second here. Okay. Um, I'll send you the link here, guys. Sorry for the delay there. So the investigations um, is actually from Kevin Dupre. He's a level four judge from France, um, and he is uh, he's actually a guy that I met at Worlds. Very fan, a fantastic level four judge, uh, definitely on top of his game. Um, so the panel is actually seven judges. Um, there are two level fours and five level threes currently, um, and they review every time a DQ has been entered into the judge center. So DQ is issued at the tournament. Then there's some paperwork. Um, <clears throat> Maybe I should actually go through the process a little bit here. Does that make sense to you guys? Or yeah, go for it. Okay, um, let's see. So the so let's say um, so. Actually, actually you know have you... Uh, uh, Sean, let me just back up one second. Instead of going through the process, can we give a working example? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's start with an example. Um, so let's say, uh, or a work, you mean a working example of, of a, a current one? You mean? Or one that just one you've experienced, like just a real life example, so we can put it into kind of. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so um, let's take an example, and I'll I'll change some names and scenarios here, but because uh, again, we don't want to call anybody out that hasn't been already suspended or anything like that. Um, so at a Grand Prix trial um, that I was the head judge for uh, probably a year ago, um, I walked past a. A table. Uh, they're in the last round of top eight. I'm um, sorry, the last round of, of Swiss before the cut to top eight. And two players have just sat down for the match, and they're talking about whether or not they can draw into top eight. Um, so, and one player says to the other, "Well, here, I, I'm sure that uh, if we draw, um, I can. You know, we'll both get into top eight. Uh, in fact, I'm so sure of it that um, if we draw and you don't get into top eight." then I'll just give you all the packs that I get when I'm there. Okay, well, that's a pretty clear-cut case of bribery. Uh, you have the match outcome uh, where one player is attempting to influence the match outcome with a, a part of you know, a, a material benefit, a tangible material benefit where we're saying, you know, this has, doesn't have anything to do with the game being played. You're just offering to give him something in order for a, uh, for a specific match outcome that you want. You want to draw... And you want to give him this in order for him to do that. That's clear-cut bribery. So, um, you know, this is, gets reported to me. I go over to the table, ask the players what happened. And the players, you know, more or less confirm the story. 
Um, you know, maybe the player that uh, actually committed it says, well, I didn't think I was bribing him. I just thought that, you know, it's a it's not a direct bribe. I'm not actually giving him packs right now. I'm just saying, you know, if I if I do have them, then I'll give them to him. Um, Or, you know, I would feel so bad for him drawing and not getting a topic. I would feel really bad for that. So I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm trying to give him some sort of a consolation thing. This isn't trying to, you know, regardless. Um, you know, he, that's his side of the story. I can understand that. Uh, from my perspective as a head judge, I'm responsible for tournament integrity. I see it's been impaired by this, so I've got to issue the DQ. There's no no question in my mind. Um, so we'll issue the DQ for the player that offered the bribe. Um, if the player who was offered the bribe didn't bring it to my attention, um, or if the player who was offered the bribe you know, sat there and considered it for a while and then made a counteroffer, I mean, then we get into DQing both of them. Um, Let's say we just DQ the player who made the bribe, you know, made the offer first. Though that's that's a simpler way to approach this. So, you know, we take that player aside and say, okay, um, I'm going to disqualify you, but I need to hear your side of the story, and the DCI needs to hear your side of the story also. So, I want you to write up a statement, and I'm going to have each of the people who witnessed this incident write up a statement also. Um, I'm going to take all of those. I'm going to make my own statement. I'm going to put them all, report them all into DCI, uh, into the DCI through a website, uh, through the Judge Center. So I'll go on the Judge Center, you know, uh, usually within a couple of days of the tournament ending, and verbatim will enter word for word every word of every statement they write on that paper. So, you know, <laughs> um, I mean, I, I've had statements that have definitely abused my integrity, uh, have, have, you know, called into question my integrity as a judge that have said, you know, I have no idea why the hell he's doing this. You know, he's a total fraud. He's a, you know, I didn't deserve this in any way. You're a total, you know, jackass or whatever else. Um, Usually, though, people are um, they're either contrite or confused. So they'll either tell us, you know, I, I totally understand why this is happening. Let's just get it over with and we'll deal with it. Um, or they they have no idea why it happened. And their statement is definitely expressing that sort of confusion of I didn't think it was not I didn't think it was wrong for me to say this. I didn't think it was wrong for me to make this, this discussion or anything like that. Or I didn't think I did anything wrong. Um, you know, it, generally speaking. Those are the two camps those fall into. Uh, but when that statement goes through, um, then this it goes to this investigations committee, um, this panel, and um, when they look at it, they say, okay, well, the DQs happened. That's that's done. The head judge is the final arbiter there. They get to choose what happens at that tournament. That's done. We're not going to go back and undo the DQ or undo. You know, that's that's a that would have to be an extremely significant and exceptional circumstance for that to happen. I don't even know if that's possible. Um, so the, the investigations committee would look at that um, and then they determine, you know, what action to take. Do we just issue a warning letter? Do we give them a, a three month ban? Do we give them a, a six month suspension? You know, how do we do with that? Um, and their current philosophy is that if you did not know what you were doing was a DQable offense, for instance, you made this offer of bribery and you really genuinely didn't know what you were doing, um, but you still impaired the integrity of the tournament by doing it, um, then, okay, we're not going to suspend you. Um, that's, that's their current philosophy, at least, that they're not going to go that far. Um, <clears throat> Now, if you know, if you came to an event, and this is actually right, right from what Kevin is is talking about in his sphere discussion, um, you know, if you came to an event prepared to cheat and you get caught, you're going to be suspended for a long time. So those are that's sort of the philosophy they approach it with, and there's of course tons of middle ground there. Um, 
so that's that's how that process works um, from from sort of cradle to grave of, of how the suspension happens. Um, now we have had in the past where a player that is suspended might um, try to get a different DCI card um, and try to enter an event. You know, um, basically, if an event happens where a suspended player is playing in the, in that event. Um, and it later comes to light that that's what you know what that player was doing. Um, that event is invalidated. That means that none of the rating points for any of the matches that happened in that event will will be be calculated. Um, so, if you as a player see somebody else who you think might be suspended or is suspended playing in, a, in an event, um, it's for your benefit and theirs that, that that you you tell us right away so that we can get them out of the event. Um, and that we can, you know, if you see them registering for the event or trying to sign up under a different name, talk about it right away, uh, because we want that that to be caught um, and not invalidated later, and it'd be a big headache for you and your rating and everything else. Okay. You still there? Yeah. yeah so we're <laughs> here. <laughs> Just wasn't sure who's going to jump in there, but uh, speaking of jumping in. I think we're going to move on to the next section, um, but that is very interesting, and it's kind of cool to get a peek into that because from a non-judge perspective, you get to see the outcome a lot. You get to see some of the input, but the process is a little removed, so it's nice to get that perspective and to understand how uh, how, how that all works, although um, that panel, that's that's interesting, and I guess... My only thing would be if you get some kind of. I mean, I'm just gonna I'm gonna deviate from our questions for a little bit and, and just say that there are occasions, as in anywhere in life, where you know you got a hundred firemen, you're gonna have some bad apples. You get you know cops, the majority of them are good guys, you're gonna have some bad apples. You know, it's just human nature that in any group, you know, no one's perfect. You're gonna have some people, statistically speaking, who aren't gonna be. Uh, you know, shooting from the hip, as it were. So too with mm-hmm. judges. And when you have, let's say, if you had like a local corrupt judge who is, you know, for vindictive reasons or for whatever reason, you know, behaving in a less than honorable way, or even, you know, like, I, you know, I could think of plenty of examples of what that could look at like, like uh, stealing promo cards or, you know, giving out. Um, uh, rules authorities or, or uh, deviations from the actual, uh, you know, kind of system or the, you know, kind of the spirit of the law just to, you know, exact their own personal vendettas or whatever. Anything like that, it sounds like if they're the head judge, there's not too much recourse in that situation, although I guess no system's perfect and I don't know how you could you could fix that, but it seems like you know that might be a situation that pops up now hearing how the process works from the judging side of it you know what i mean oh yeah absolutely i i totally understand that uh where now um one thing that i would definitely encourage is that if you do have um that sort of a situation if any of your listeners come across that situation where you really are dealing with a despot of a judge and that's uh uh you know a despot uh, somebody you know head judge that's that's totally you know, just decided, well, I'm going to make up the rules of magic just for myself here, and I'm going to run the tournament just because I see fit, and uh, it's not going to resemble in any way, um, you know, the infraction procedure guidelines or um, the way, you know, the magic tournament rules or any of that. 
Uh, if you do have somebody who runs a tournament that way, I mean, hopefully, I, I can't imagine. I, I, I've only heard of maybe one instance where, and even that was was not the same really. Uh, it's very, very rare. I would expect. But that said, if it happens, um, Wizards definitely wants to hear about it. Wizards, I mean, this is this is the, their bread and butter. They have to hear about it um, in order for them to change something about it. So. Um, you know, if you don't feel comfortable talking to the tournament organizer, or maybe the tournament organizer and the judge that you have an issue with are one and the same, um, if that's the case, um, the the you know, I'd say the the store owner or the tournament organizer is probably your first first person you'd go to to talk about this and say, you know, I really don't appreciate how he's running this event. I really think that uh, there's a better way to do this, or that um, you know that you should really just keep an eye on on him. He's got kind of a big head about this. If that's the case, you know, bring it up there. If you don't feel comfortable with that at all, I, I, if there's any trepidation in your on your part to bring that up with the TO um, or the store owner, by all means, um, talk to Wizards about it. Um, and the person you want to talk to is the manager of the judge program. The judge program manager um, is an awesome guy by the name of Andy Hecht. Um, and I can actually give you his email address here, so I mean, hopefully he doesn't get a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of new emails from this, but um, uh, because of course all judges are awesome, we all know that. But no, seriously, um, <laughs> um, his email address is, is actually, I mean, every judge I've met in my experience, with rare exception, has been awesome. Um, you know, if not at least, you know, they're at least pretty close to awesome if they're not already awesome. Anyway, um, the, Andy's email address is andy, A-N-D-Y, dot hecht, H-E-C-K-T, at wizards.com. Okay. Andy Hecht. Mm-hmm. I've, I've got a little yeah. follow-up question just related to what we just And we'll, we'll just have discussing. that email in the show notes. Can you just uh, shoot us that email right quick and we'll put it in the show yeah, notes? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so you can add it directly to show notes because you have access to it now. So as a hypothetical... Um, I think we just we what Jonathan was describing and, and kind of what you, you responded with I think might be slightly different. Um, what if you have a hypothetical where rather than somebody who has just blatant disregard for all rules, um, the IPG is not not a situation where the IPG is non-existent, but um, oh, an IPG for for people that don't know is uh, uh, infection procedure. It's, it's the infraction yeah. procedure guidelines. Yeah, um, which is basically like a, a the the guideline that uh, judges use when they choose different rulings. But when you've got somebody who who does understand that and does follow that, like ninety eight percent of the time. However, when there are you know more personal um, issues that that particular person has with a with someone that. Um, they are really the only the only option, and like in our community, for example, though this is this, we're talking about hypothetical, our community we have very very few judges, so there isn't a whole lot of peer review on on you know larger calls or things of that nature, and there's not really a whole lot of um, of peer mentoring that goes on. So if you know if there are a lot of changes to the IPG or things of that nature, those changes may or may not be um, well, you want to see them reflected in the tournaments you attend. Yeah, that's and, that's, and so so either a you've got old rules being enforced where it's not current, or you've got something where you know the person is just taking 
an, an occasional, um, right. you know, use of their power. Like where you don't really have somebody that's just totally corrupt. In that case, obviously, you know, every, you know, the entire community would would be behind just, you know, outing a given person. But but I think the hypothetical that, that Jonathan was getting at is where, how do you deal with some something where your options are are slim with 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 actual judges and you know maybe you've got a, a judge that that isn't always um, playing playing by the rules. Okay, well there's a, one other thing, and actually this is going to be an experiment because this is a, a possibility that occurred to me. Um, but I want to check with one of you. I, I assume you're all online, of course. Um, can can you go to judge.wizards.com from where you are right now? And it should give you your normal DCI. Um, login. Yeah. Login. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, when you log in, though, it should it should be something a, a slightly different that you see there. Instead of the personal information center that you're used to, it should say something about judging. I've got a website in front of me after logging in. It says, Welcome to the Wizards of the Coast Judge Center. Flying pages okay. are available to, for you to view. Okay. And is one of those reviews down below? Yes. Huh. Okay. So, so that's definitely something that I would go to. Um, and when you click on reviews, um, you can you know, create one there. Um, and this is just usually going to be an evaluation of, uh, you know, usually reviews here are a tool that judges use um, to help other judges develop their professional skills. But also, these judges, these reviews are available to other higher level judges. Um, so, for instance, when I applied for Worlds um, as a, you know, for sponsorship there, um, you know, Ricardo or the other judges that were deciding on who was sponsored there um, could look at the reviews that I'd received in the Judge Center here and sort of make that determination. Um, now, the other part of this, too, is that um, this allows you to create some sort of documentation of this is what happened and this is what I think, you know, this is my experience with this judge and how they've worked out. Um, now, the other thing you should be aware of is that this information will be sent to that judge, so you're not going to be able to do this anonymously, sure. um, not as far as I know at least. Um, now, the, the thing is, so you type in the subject's name here, um, and hopefully it's not a, not a generic name like John Smith because there are a bunch of those in the DCI, but um, you know, hopefully you get that, that name with the correct DCI number there. Um, you know, in your level at the time of observation, well, you're a level zero, probably. Um, in tournament role, there's actually a part there for player or even spectator. Um, so you can actually make a review as a player of a judge here. Now, what I would suggest doing, now, this isn't just so you can nitpick every blown call, because we are human and we do not get every single time right. So it's something to keep in mind. But um, sure. you can put put that information in here um, and then, you know, talk about, you know, what did they do right? What did they, what could they have improved on and how they deliver? You know, it, it might be something as simple as telling a judge, you know, um, you know, when you were delivering this call, um, you didn't give me any eye contact, but it really affected my game in a lot. Uh, and I, I really appreciate in the future if when you and I were, when you were giving rulings, if you make sure that both players understand your ruling and you can confirm or ask for feedback from both of them, um, because that's important to me to be able to have a hand in making sure you get the right story. 
you know, that's a, that's a completely valid criticism, um, and especially if you want to, you know, don't just word it as "Hey, you suck." You know, <laughs> definitely tell us, tell, you know, make it constructive. Um, now, so the more constructive it is, the more likely it is that we'll be able to do something and change it. Now, when I get a review here, um, Wizard sends me an email saying, hey, there's a new review for you posted here. Um, and so, you know, I could, you know, review that, um, print it, that sort of thing. Um, and then this is one way that you can, you know, if you can sort of, if, if it's a, a chronic thing with a judge in your area, you could sort of start something here and be able to say, look, um, I'd like for this to change in your behavior, um, you know, and, and then bring this back to them. And, they, and granted, keep in mind, this is definitely going to go to them and they're going to see it. Um, so this isn't something where you want to just, you know, if, if you just turn it into a litany of insults, it's probably not going to be constructive for anybody. But um, if you need something where you can say, hey, Andy, you know, you send again an email to Andy Hecht and say, you know, this, you know, this, this, Judge here seems to always give the F and M promos out to, you know, these two players, um, or you know, the, this judge seems to always rule in this guy's favor, and I've seen him blow a couple of calls this way. Um, you know, if it actually is something where you think there's a, a devious element to it, just send Andy an email. Don't bother with this whole review thing. But if it's actually something where it's a place where you'd like to just say, hey, you know, this is a way for you to improve, and I've noticed this, and you may not know it, um, you know, but tucking your shirt because I really don't like the plumber's crack every time I'm at this tournament with you. You know, I mean, whatever you want to do. Um, well, and I've also noticed, um, looking at, at just going through basically what you you described and having the form in front of me, I can see that you, you can actually um, give some input to different tournament roles. So uh, the, or, the organizer of a tournament, for example, um, you can give some input to, to an organizer or, or a staff uh, at, at, a, uh, at a given event. And that's... Um, Pretty pretty interesting too because um, I mean I I don't know in the in the larger in the larger tournaments you, you don't have as much of an imp, of a of a day to day contact with some of of those those people but on your your more local level um, you, know, you could have a, a level one judge that is also the organizer is also the owner you know and uh, sometimes the, those 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 rules will. Um, be be different or the same. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and one thing I would suggest too is that you know don't use this for for what could otherwise just be a face to face conversation. Um, hopefully, no, no, no. I, mean, I, I think that I think that um, you know what we're talking about is not you know not not every time you have a you know a call that you just necessarily disagree with, but in in the corner cases where you don't have a clear you know, corrupt judge, and you don't really have a a really good situation. And as a as a community, you know, you think that there that there is an issue. This is a way of 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 putting something on record, if you will. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and I also, you know, there's an ulterior motive for me to send you guys to the judge center too here, and that that is that. Um, you can get your own, uh, you know, you can, there's that exams button in the top right there. (laughs) So if you want to get your rules advisor exams exams squared away, this is the place to do it. Uh, If you want to take practice exams, this is the place to do it. Um, Also, I I mean, if you just want to learn more about the rules, this is a a great tool to to do that. So all those things, um, highly, highly recommend this. Um, So anyway, that's, um, yeah, so that's, that's you know, one use of the Judge Center in, in talking about the reviews there. Um, I mean, reviews for me historically have been fantastic in, in helping me recognize 
where my weaknesses are and where I can improve those. That's, it's been really great and helpful that way. Um, you know, I, I had um, the, the most helpful ones have actually been the negative ones where, um, you know, I was team leading at um, – you know, public events on um, in, in Pro Tour San Diego, and one of my team members gave me a review that said, you know, you really just forgot about me. You really didn't do this right. I spent the entire day doing events that I didn't care about, and I really had a bad time that day. Um, you know, and he sent that to me. He was very frank about it, direct about it, and I really appreciated that feedback. Um, and I really thought, you know, wow. So now in my future events, like when I when I had judged the PTQ in Japan at, at Worlds there, um, you know, I, you know, sat down with each of my teammates and I said, hey, look, um, if there's a task that's starting to feel repetitive, if you're tired of doing deck checks, if you're tired of, of anything, let me know. And I'm happy to shift you around. You know, there's other public events we can go to. There's other ways we can do this. And really that variety definitely keeps people interested in judging, um, you know, uh, rather than being stuck in the same place the whole time. So, I, I, again, negative reviews, um, as long as they're constructive, can be awesome. Yeah, thank you. I mean, thank you for for all of this information because this is definitely something that I uh, haven't gleaned off of any of my, you know, <laughs> most of your guys' podcast or or even uh, conversations with judges. I've uh, in the in the last in the last uh, few months going to a lot of larger events. I've seen some of the same judges at some of the, uh, at the at the most recent GP in Nashville and some of the PTQs. I've seen I've, I've met some judges that have been at multiple events and have kind of had some. Um, some good conversations with with people about some various different things, and this is some stuff that I haven't haven't gleaned from that. Um, also, it's on a related note. On a related note, uh, you guys had a interview with uh, James Elliott early in your guys' podcast, and I'd be really- uh, yes, the great Scotsman. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. he's. He's he's from the Midwest, uh, and I, mm-hmm. I saw him. I had a crazy weekend a while back where I went to a PTQ on Saturday in Indianapolis. Then uh, was driving home, and somewhere just before South Chicago, picked up another person and decided to go to St. Louis for a Sunday PTQ that he was also the uh, head judge of, and he's just phenomenal. Definitely a. Um, a pillar of of the Midwest community, and no, he he has earned the title Road Warrior. He has yeah. really earned it. Yeah, so, that's that's. Uh, I don't know. I guess I was just gonna as as a little shout out to him and and a request if you uh, if you run across him again, another interview would be phenomenal. Because uh, oh, absolutely. The very yeah. well, I can tell you, the very first time that I met James was at Pro Tour Hollywood, where I went. Um, I went just sort of on a lark uh, down with some friends who were going to just play in public events um, and, you know, decided to, to hop in a car with them and take the seven-hour drive down. Um, slept on the uh, concrete floor of a hotel room. You know, it's carpeted, but really concrete. Um, you know, and just as a spectator, um, I was only level one and just, just certified not long before that. Um, and as I was walking over around when Super F&M was happening at the Pro Tour, um, sort of walked into this large group of judges, um, and I introduced myself to, to Mr. McKay there. Um, James, um, I'm sorry, not Mr. McKay. <laughs> uh, James McKay was the, the level four that just certified, uh, or just was leveled up for Australia. Sorry, Mr. Elliott. James Elliott walked up to him, and he was handing out in these top loaders these cards that were basically a brief version of the infraction procedure guidelines. This is before people had started writing apps for the iPhone uh, where, you know, you actually have the IPG right there and all the Oracle text and everything else. 
um, you know, he has these these little cards he's handing out to all the judges, and I, I introduced myself and I asked him for one of those too, and it saved my life at the next PTQ, where I was I was you know still relatively fresh as an L1, sort of swimming through a lot of the policy. Um, he, Mr. Elliott's help there just was fantastic. Uh, that card that he handed me, I mean, granted, it's it's now sort of a staple of the IPG. It's actually in the back there, an abbreviated version. Um, but that's that that little card and booklet was fantastic, um, and that was my first impression of him. And later on, you know, we've I've, we've crossed paths a couple times, but he he really is great, absolutely. Cool, uh, Jonathan, do you have any more uh, questions? Sure. Um, let me just pull this up right quick. Um, yeah, I just want to go over a couple things with you, Sean. Um, Okay, so now we've gotten to know you a little bit. We've gotten uh, some of the kind of very specific and technical side of judging out there. And uh, I'm going to ask you a couple questions that are more general um, than that and, and a little a little lighter, I think, in topic. Um, well, on your last podcast, you talked about some of the cultural differences that arose at Worlds and how sometimes judging issues come up because of that. Um, I don't know if everyone who's listened to this has listened to your uh, show where you talked about going to Japan. If not, they should. But if you could talk a little bit about your experience there with maybe players that don't speak English, because, um, I mean, magic in itself is a language, right? Language is just a complicated system of symbols to communicate ideas between two or more people. Magic is a language in that sense, but that being said, there are so many intricacies at a high-level event like that that are sure to come up. Um, what were some of the interesting situations that happened to you because of being in a foreign country, a different culture, and I'm sure just a vast swath, a myriad of, of players who uh, you might have had some cultural or communicative barriers with? Well, absolutely. I mean, you're in a country where you know the player base really doesn't speak a whole lot of, of English. Um, I mean, Japan, you know, the, the player base in Worlds, in the main event, you know, English is sort of the standard language that all the judges use, and it's the standard language that a lot of the players will attempt to use first in communicating with the judges. Um, all the all the coverage staff use English. All the the scorekeeper, everybody else uses English as a primary language. Once you step outside the white ropes or the white chains that that sort of ring that part of the event, you're in a totally different world. Um, you're in a place where 90% of the players, maybe more than that, don't speak. English in a way that would be helpful in trying to resolve a dispute regarding magic. Um, you know, they, they just don't speak English that way. And that's, you know, because it's their country and their country's main language isn't English. So you have no expectation, uh, no, no reason to expect that of them at all. Um, so, <clears throat> um, the staff that we had there, I think we had close to 60 judges for worlds. Um, and, you know, you'd only really have at any given point about 20% of those judges, about, about a dozen of them or so, um, assigned to the main event. The rest of them are on public events because you have 350 players in the main event to start with. And you have in each day anywhere from 12 to 1600 players in public events. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a lot, a lot of, a lot of events, a lot of player entries to manage. And the things that you run into really are things like, you know, um, well, let's let's take a specific example of um, 
I had a one one judge came up to me and said, you know, I I don't know what's going on between these two players. I can't communicate with either of them. But I don't know why he came up to me because of course I can't communicate with either of them either. Um, but you know, we both go over to to talk to him. It's at the PTQ where I'm the head judge. That's probably why he came up to me. I guess is because I'm the head judge. So okay, goes up to me. You know, it's one of one of my English speaking judges comes up to me and says, I need help with this interaction. And we go over and we we sit down with these two players and well, and look at the board. And it's really hard to determine, you know, what's going on. But the, it becomes very clear quickly through their pantomime and, and talking, you know, that they have, you know, they, they we know very basic Japanese of being able to count, you know, Ichi, Nissan. Okay, so they're counting the number of cards in both players' hands. Uh-huh. They keep doing this over and over. So we're like, okay, very obvious. Somebody has one more card than they should or somebody has one fewer card than they should. Um, so let's talk about, okay, um, how many turns have gone by? You know, how many turns? One, two, three, four. We, you know, we, we pantomime, you know, the number there um, and have them actually write it down because they, you know, they, writing it down in Japanese is they're actually writing down in, you know, Roman numerals for the numbers. So that's easier enough for us to figure out. Okay, how many turns? One turn, two turns. Okay, we go through the numbers. Count all the cards, figure out which card was missing, or, or you know, though we didn't ca- account for, um, I think one of them didn't account for preordain, you know, because that was supposed to be one card gone, but it actually replaces itself. So that's what happened there. Um, but the miscommunication, you know, the, the potential there is that if I get that wrong, my gut is telling me, well, he probably drew, drew an extra card, which means that we're looking at a game loss here. Um, I mean, we're going to ruin somebody's day on a miscommunication with a judge. Right, uh, that's right. so a, a very careful a thing to tread very carefully upon. Interesting. Um, now that's that's kind of an issue with the language barriers. How about something that was culturally hard that was not necessarily mm-hmm. just language, but also I know, for example, uh, I mean, I'm a huge fan of the Japanese culture, and I you know I've, I've read a lot about it, but I know obviously there's a very different interpretation of just simple, not only gestures but kind of issues of you know, shame or the implication of cheating or the idea of cheating and honor and dishonor and that, you know, has a has a long, proud history, but I could imagine some of the ways. I, I, I think I even heard, I can't remember who was telling me, but there was something about how the rules of shuffling even had to be changed partially because in Japan it was kind of a faux pas to, to properly shuffle your opponent's deck because it's it's almost the implication of them cheating. I, I can see that. Um, I'm not sure about the, that specific part about shuffling, but I can tell you definitely we ran into cultural issues, especially in interacting with the judge staff. I mean, most judges at a at a PTQ, you know, you you work with them day in day out. They're your local guys. You're used to working with them. Um, you can joke about whatever you want, in the, and you share a lot of common language and, and that sort of thing. Um, with the Japanese judges that I worked with at the PTQ. Um, there's one that really stands out. Uh, he was my crutch basically the entire day uh, because he spoke Japanese very, very well and spoke English pretty well um, and was able to really help me bridge the gap between between the you know myself and the players in language but also in culture. Um, was that the uh, not to interrupt, but was that the same judge that you had on your uh, your last episode? Uh, no, the, in the last episode we interviewed Takanori. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Takanori Nakamura, uh, which uh, 
and he is the regional coordinator for Japan. Uh, he okay. is a, a level two that I actually didn't have the pleasure of working with uh, very frequently at the tournament. We we kind of crossed paths a few times enough to for that interview to happen. Sure. Um, but the judges that I work with, the, the one that stands out to me right now is uh, one by the name of Koichi Inouye. And Koichi was fantastic um, in explaining to me <laughs> that the way that I had been posting all of the pairings was very, very confusing for them. <laughs> um, where we you, you put up all the pairings boards and, um, and the way that they, they read, um, you know, people were going to the wrong table because they had misread, you know, where their opponents were or, you know, or they were taking them an inordinately long amount of time to get to figure out where they were in the list because they weren't laid out in the way that they expect them to be. Um, so, I mean, really minor things, but they really did delay the tournament in the first couple of rounds. They delayed the tournament by about five minutes in each round where people were taking too long to get to their seats. And I'm not going to give 10 people a game loss for being tardy because they're all still up at the up at the list trying to find their seats. Um, so, you know, it's, it's little things like that. Um, but once they're fixed, they make the tournament run so much more smoothly. Um, other things that Koichi was really great at um, – was um well let's see the, the other cultural differences that that really came out with um <clears throat> Japanese judges would not take a break unless you demanded it of them um and you know you working a long long judging day um is trying on on anybody um i mean especially a you know round american like myself but um also definitely trying on on you know uh, somebody who's been at it for eight hours, you know, you definitely need to tell them go drink some water, go sit down for ten minutes, um, and actually, you know, telling them to do that, and not because you think that they are lag- lagging behind or that they're weak in some way or that it's any any sort of that they're not meeting your expectations. It's that, you know, me as a it's it's for my peace of mind as the person who's responsible for your well-being at this right now. It's for my peace of mind that I'm asking you to go do this, and being very clear in that expectation of, you know, it, the other the other issue we run into culturally is the um, judges are trusted almost completely. Um, you know, here in the U.S., um, it's very common I think for some of the especially spikish players to uh, think they know more than a judge. If the judge is, say, new or, or recently certified or if they're not familiar with that judge, sometimes, uh, you know, there's a certain type of spike that might definitely think, you know, I know more than this judge. This judge's call is totally wrong. I'm going to appeal it, and I'll start to appeal it almost before he's done with his ruling. You know, that that that's sort of a an assumption. Um, that just doesn't exist among Japanese players. Um, I don't – I didn't get a single appeal the entire PTQ, um, which is, I mean – if that happens at an American PTQ, normally for me, that's, you know, at the end of the day, I'll tell my guys, you know, either you all made fantastic rulings or you sold the wrong ones, but good job. Um, <laughs> but really, I mean, it, it, the the lack of appeals and the, and the strong confidence that players have in judges can also be a disservice to them. Um, I, I, I know that in at least one case, um, I did have an issue where uh, a judge had given um, a, a penalty uh, for drawing extra cards, a game loss for drawing extra cards, 
Um, and I caught it. It wasn't actually a tournament that I was a head judge of, but I caught it walking by and I said, well, this is an interesting extension here and an interesting penalty to give so early in the round. What's going on here? You know, I flipped it over and said, drawing extra cards, game loss. Um, when it really, in, in, in the description of it, and after talking with the judge about it, said, you know, this is this is not drawing extra cards. This should have been improper draw at start a game. Um, this should have been a warning. Um, but because the players have such faith in the judges, you know, it wasn't going to be appealed, um, and it wasn't going to to come back to that at all. Um, so that's a sort of an, a, one of the cultural differences I found too. Um, like that's I said, last oh, go ahead. That's fascinating because we're almost trained as a part of when it comes to like on this more spiky side, we're almost trained as a part of your maturation to going to bigger events that you it's not as if um at like the PTQ level you snap ignore the judge ruling, but if it doesn't make sense to you and it doesn't go in your favor, if those two things happen and it might just be a communication issue with 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 the with that particular judge you you always appeal if those two things are are together um well, sure, and an appeal is your is your right as a player. Certainly, if you just need further clarification, um, the only thing I'd ask is that you're 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 sweet about it. Um, yeah, you know. for, I mean, and that's and that's a mm-hmm. learned thing. But yeah, absolutely. Johnny, you were going to say something? No, I, I think that's fascinating, um, and that's a great answer. Uh, <clears throat> you also, in your last show, you asked Alexis and Claire this, who both got their level threes. Um, it was a great question, so I'm just going to copy it and ask you, because <laughs> But you asked them uh, if there was a particular situation or unique rules uh, kind of um, thing that came up at Worlds for them. Was there one of those for you where there's like a really interesting interaction or cool kind of weird thing that came up? Well, you know, there's one that I... I has actually, I think, generated some some discussion among some of the judges I've talked to. Um, and it actually goes back a little bit to the cultural differences we were talking about earlier. But um, basically, in the in the situation that I ran into, um, in the top eight of my tournament, or in, my, in the PTQ that I was in, um, I was, uh, you know, both players are shuffling each other's decks before game one. Or, sorry, before game two. Um, and you know this is in the a round of the PTQ where where both players sort of knew what each other was playing, um, but you know they're shuffling in round two, uh, or shuffling game two of the match, and they um, you know one player it's a Japanese player and a player of some Western country I couldn't tell you exactly which which country but a player from some Western country, um, and they're playing in the top eight here. Japanese player is shuffling his opponent's deck, and you know one of the cards flips over and falls to the ground. And a very common thing was that okay, the the as soon as something like that happens by accident, um, you know the player who can, who actually did it would immediately stop, and you know his eyes shoot up at the ceiling. And as soon as he does it, he he calls the judge and says, okay, uh, there's card on the floor. He's pointing. And, you know, okay, so the judge picks up the card, flips it over, you know, puts it back into the deck and says, okay, be more careful when you're shuffling. 
Um, and even though there's this potential, uh, even though we know we trust that you did not actually look at the card, there's this potential for you to have seen it. We want you to be more careful. We're going to issue a warning here for looking at extra cards because that's that's what we would do um, if you were shuffling. You actually did see the card by accident. Well, as I'm in the middle of talking with this player about what was going on, about this warning that I was issuing to him and talking, you know, explaining that to him. Um, one of the coverage reporters uh, looks over at his at, at the the Western opponent and sees him. Uh, his, his initial indication to me, the Japanese coverage reporter, was that um, this player was actually looking at his opponent's deck while he was shuffling it, while I was talking to the Japanese player. So basically, looking for, to see if I was distracted, and then sort of saying, hey, did he sideboard something in, or you know, just, just checking, um, which is completely, I mean, <laughs> it, it, with that initial impression, you go, I mean, immediately from zero to like, okay, this is, we're talking about DQ here, let's get the story straight for sure. Um, and as soon as that came up, um, you know, so we talked talk to the coverage reporter again, we, and whenever you talk to somebody in an investigation, you take them away from the table, um, because you don't want their story to influence what you hear from the other players, um, but also you want to remove them from the situation if it's created any kind of anxiety or, or frustration or, or that sort of a problem. You want to get some separation from that. So we take them aside, take the reporter aside, make sure I can confirm the story, but I didn't really speak enough enough Japanese and he didn't really speak enough English for us to get the story straight for one another. Um, and so you have one of those frowning moments where you're like, ah, I just, I don't really know what you're trying to tell me here. Um, and this is uh, one instance where uh, the tournament organizer for public events, uh, uh, Miyamoto-san, Satoshi Miyamoto, uh, he came over, uh, you know, went over to him and said, you know, I, I need a little help with this translation. Can you tell me what's what's going on here? Um, he talks to the recovered reporter, and he, you know he, he they, they talk back and forth about exactly what's going on in, in Japanese extensively, um, explaining what he saw happen, what he thinks saw happen, um, and and then you know I, I ask Miyamoto-san some more questions. Um, basically, the way that this investigation turned out, though, uh, was much more along the lines of, you know, I misunderstood the covered reporter's initial concerns. He was concerned about it, but he didn't actually see it happen. And seeing it happen like that, you know, he said he's basically trying to tell me that the same thing across the table is happening as what happened here, where the the cards are falling or the cards got got shuffled wrong. Um, and as as Miyamoto-san explained it to me, basically I need to give the same penalty over there, the same warning. Um, so we immediately back down from the issue of. Are we really going to DQ this guy for you know trying to stack his opponent's deck? No, this is we're just trying to figure out how this you know how this misshuffling happened. Now the other part of this too is that um, in the cultural side of it, um, I'm a Western judge and I'm the head judge of this tournament um, where 99% of the players are Japanese, but there's a Western player in the top eight here, and if I make a ruling in favor of him which is also at odds with what the coverage guy is thinking, you know, it's, it's a really bad situation in terms of a perception. It's not necessarily that I'm making this ruling because I'm Western and he's Western and Hey, we're buddies and you know, nothing like that at all. But the perception, the possibility of that perception made me think also about the, the cultural differences between the two um, and how, 
I mean, it's one of the reasons why um, traditionally the head judge for a lot of the big, you know, big events, the pro, uh, not the, the pro tour, but the, uh, they call it the limits and also, uh, I forget the other, the name of the other large scale tournament, but they have like a vintage, a very large scale vintage tournament and a very large scale limited tournament uh, that go on there um and basically it's a you know it's a traditional end of the year sort of tournament that happened to coincide with worlds so they make it a public event there um those head judges are traditionally they have to be japanese um and so that's a, a similar sort of thing for these ptqs where you want to avoid the the um the perception of cultural arrogance on our part um and you want to make sure that Everything's on the up and up, especially and and on this on the flip side of it, you don't want to let somebody get away with something just because you're afraid of that. You know, you can't you can't let that happen either. Uh, so it was a initially what I thought was a much tougher call, but that um, it's sort of a language barrier, sort of a cultural thing, sort of a rules thing, and how we explain these back and forth. Um, so that 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 was definitely a standout moment for me, where um, you know Miyamoto-san's. Uh, Big help was it was definitely trying to to get that um, to, to get that resolved. Um, that that yeah. So that that's one thing that really stands out in my mind as an experimental takeaway from Worlds. Very good, and uh, that is that is a pretty unique situation. Um, okay, one one other question regarding Judge Cruz and that type of stuff. If you were heading up a Judge Crew. And you got to pick your team. Like, let's say you're like drafting your judges, right? And you had a limited amount to draft from, and you know each of them individually, and they have their individual skills. And everyone's, I mean, you know, everyone's kind of on a spectrum, right? And you had the choice of going for more judges who were the like much higher technical proficiency, meaning they knew the rules in and out. They may or may not be a huge, you know level judge but they they know the rules like the back of their hands and can do layering and humility and opalescence and everything else or on the other hand you got your other choices of judges who are much more personable although not as technically competent as the previously mentioned and you got your draft on so you're like dude i'm gonna pick my team that i think is gonna handle the situation the best for let's say grand prix or some big event where you can have thousands of people what what do you reckon on that? Well, now it depends on the job that I'm drafting them for because there are definitely different strengths um, at each of the at each of the major events. You have so many different jobs that can be done uh, that a different strength is, is definitely useful. For instance, um, I would definitely want. I mean, the first thing that I would ask of anybody who I'm going to put in charge of deck checks is how well do you know the format. Um, do you, you know, have you, have you been playtesting with people? Do you know, um, what the combo decks you're expecting to see are? Also, can you tell me off the top of your head without thinking for a second or without thinking too long? What are the, what are the sets that are legal for this format? Um, and what are the cards that are banned or what are the cards that people are going to expect the, the greatest number of interactions with? Because deck checks, um, is, really where the rubber meets the road in terms of maintaining tournament integrity from a, a real base perspective. Um, now, if it's a limited event, um, you know, the, the actual technical details of, of the rules, a limited event, I'm not going to care about that quite as much because generally speaking, in limited, you have 
not too many rules and reactions that you're going to worry about. Um, you might run the occasional one, but in a limited event, I care more about um, who can keep the tournament flowing at a reasonable pace and who who would I be able to trust in an emergency, uh, for instance, well, not an emergency, but we're not talking about an earthquake here. We're talking about um, you know, what happens when, uh, you know, say we've got four draft pods going and two of them get out of sync with the draft as it's being called. You know, how do we, how do, who, who would I be able to trust in that situation to get it taken care of? Well, it's, it's not somebody who spent their, their time as a rules guru so much as it's probably somebody who spent their time interacting with players, being able to suss out why something happened. Uh, and it was somebody with much stronger communication skills. Um, hey, Sean, that's, yeah. Can, can we go back for a little bit and talk a little bit more about the, the deck checks? Um, what you were saying was kind of interesting. What, what is the, why do you need someone who knows the, uh, sort of the, the deck archetypes as much um, for, for that kind of activity? Well, for one, it's going to be easy for them to recognize a list um, and be able to, for instance, if they're leading a team checks, um, they're going to be able to say, you know, uh, we usually want to check on a random basis. But if they know the format, they're also going to know, for instance, what the major combos in the format are. Um, and they'll be able to, they're more likely, I think, to catch something going wrong. Uh, that is somebody who, you know, if if they see... Um, if they see once they're in a check, you know, this is a really weird sideboard choice um, on the list that they're checking at the, in the beginning in round two, Uh, they're going through and they, you know, it's a five color control list and they've got four lightning bolts on the sideboard. And you're like, I've, I've never heard of this. It's either tech or it's wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, Then that's, that's a good way for us to either catch an error or catch a cheater, depending on on the level of the offense. I mean, how they're how they're actually, you know, why that that difference is from what they're expecting is going to be there. Um, so that's that's one thing. Okay. Uh, the other side of it too, though, is that deck checks. Um, you know, I'm interested in in knowing where the players that are likely to be screwing up a lot are. Uh, for instance, in certain formats, especially in Extended, well, Extended of a few years ago. Now, now that Extended is this double standard sort of thing, um, there's probably not as many of these, but the players that are going to be racking up a lot of violations, um, I, I want, especially in their, the, the players that play the, uh, you know, the 60, the, the Highlander decks, you know, the, the 60 cards that are all, the Frank Karsten Highlander decks, uh, those players are definitely going to screw up their deck lists at some point. Um, so somebody who can look at that immediately and say, you know, I'm, I'm sure that this card is not in the format anymore. Uh, you know, this was printed in, in M10 and it's no longer in M11. It's not legal for standard. Go find that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, somebody who can pick that out quickly um, definitely helps tournament integrity. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Very interesting. Well, that's that's. Uh yeah, it's pretty fascinating because I could imagine how, you know, everyone brings their own skills. But I've noticed that there are different kind of archetypes of the judges that I've I've known, and some are much more interested in, uh, you know, very technical aspects of the game, and you can tell how much time they spend on that. And some are very good at that, as well as having a lot of. You know, some of the most, some of the best kind of like organizers I've met, I think, would be judges because being able to handle moving so many people 
um, and, you know, from one area to another area, moving the tournament along, moving the um, the the conversations that they're having along in a in an appropriate manner and and uh, pace and all those types of things going on with all the distractions and all the hundreds of behind the scene things that must be constantly going on as well as deck regs and everything else. You have to be a people person to a certain extent. On the other hand, you know, you you, you kind of have, I guess, that's why you have delegation, you have managers, and you have people to do different jobs because other people's skills lie in being able to have a you know, ridiculously encyclopedic memory and, and being able to uh, at will call up whatever random interaction, you know, might be necessary to cite precedent for you know whatever's going on so so it's interesting um and uh you know we are pushing the two hour mark by my clock so <laughs> sorry i didn't mean for this to turn epic on you guys no that's okay this is this we is, like epic yeah this is the you know aside from being a fairly um you know, failed magic dynamic. It is, you know, one of our favorite podcast types, as we have shown over and over again. And in fact, if we, uh, I think if we, if we didn't have, if 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 we didn't have like the one and a half hour, two hour benchmarks of of these podcasts, then our average, you know, then then the hours that we're clocking, because this is all a like community service, so that'd put more hour, you know, that'd put many more years on our on our uh, payback to community. So. It's all to the good. For sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, what, all right. I'm tired. I got nothing. But wrapping it up, <laughs> let me put it like this. So, the great Sean Catanese, thank you very much for joining us today, tonight. Um, this was awesome, and we would for sure love to have you back. I want to say a couple things uh, as we're wrapping up the show. Uh, before we go, but but the first thing I want to say is thank you so much. This was awesome, and your uh, knowledge of the rules, your ability as a judge and as a podcaster is only matched by your uh, courtesy and your willingness to cooperate with us and, and get on this podcast the fifth time's a charm or whatever it was, and, and we really appreciate your patience with that, so thanks so much, and, and thanks for coming on. It was really great, and we really would like to have you know maybe some more crossover with you and Jose, or maybe Greg and I could come to your show for a little bit, or vice versa, figure it out one way or the other, but we'll talk about that later. Um, and, of course, of course. And... Uh, I'm going to give you some time to say a few parting words, uh, Russell and uh, Greg. If you guys have anything you want to say, um, I'm going to make sure we have time for that as well. But before that, I do want to say we're going to give a plug to MTG Mom uh, Megan, who has a new Twitter account, which is MTG Mom on Twitter. Uh, so check that out. Add her. She's great. And uh, she was also an awesome guest on our show, and, and we wish her the best of luck with, with MTGMom.com. So check that out as well. Um, we want to... Uh, also, give a shout out to Jameson Bryant, our good, good friend, yeah. who is getting married. We were at his bachelor party last night. Uh, even though myself and, and many others had work and school and whatever early in the morning, we were out till four or whatever. Um, but, you know, you can't beat that Denny's hot cocoa, so keep it real, son. And on the other hand, uh, <laughs> You know, we 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 want to wish him the best. He's a great guy. He's marrying a great girl, um, and their wedding is coming up very soon. So uh, it's proof in the pudding that magic players can find love. So any of you guys out there or gals, uh, don't worry. <laughs> Keep slinging that cardboard, and it'll come. Um, 
or in spite of it, you know, you can find your love nonetheless. Uh, that's all I got. Um, is there any uh, parting words that, that you want to uh, have, Sean? Well, thanks again for letting me uh, come on and talk with you guys. Um, absolutely uh, thrilled to be here, and thank you again for uh, giving us the, the plug and the support. Um, I know early on I think we we missed uh, – one of the, my first interaction with you, Jonathan, was uh, – Probably one of of my own ignorance, but I'm I'm very glad that we've uh, you know moved well beyond that into a great um, great time to actually be here with with you guys. Um, also, I want to plug the Judge Center again. <laughs> Go on there, take your rules advisor exams. Uh, you know, if there aren't judges in your area, uh, it sounds like you know you guys might, and even there where you guys on four spikes are, uh, they're might benefit from another judge in the area. So uh, sure. go try your, your rules advisor exam. Keep in mind your rules advisor exam is open internet. You you can use Google to answer the questions if you really want to. Uh, the first uh, step to be- Especially us Milwaukee folks. Check that out. Anyone in Milwaukee that's thinking about it, check that out for sure. We need Absolutely. more. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it's a rewarding, wonderful time. And again, uh, this interview, this time with you guys has been rewarding, wonderful as well. Um, Thanks again for the plugs, and always happy to co- collaborate with you guys uh, in the future. If, it, if, uh, if the logistics can work out, I'd be very happy to come back on and, and uh, of course, have you guys uh, come talk with us over at JudgeCast. Um, so, of course, uh, remember to keep it fair and keep it fun. Absolutely. And uh, everyone check out JudgeCast on the MTG Network. They are great. They're also on Manda Nation. Uh, JudgeCast, it's phenomenal. Uh, Russell, do you have any parting words you want to leave our listeners with? Uh, I, I'm really happy that uh, we were able to uh, pick Sean's brain a little bit. Uh, Sean, I think you owe us uh, a Bostonian accent uh, <laughs> as, as you're on your way out, though. I, I believe that was requested. Uh, yeah, my apologies, gentlemen. Um, if you could just cut that earlier part out, um, I just, I'll just leave it with this here. <laughs> um, from all of us here at Judge Cast, I'd like to just tell you: every time you cast Warp World, an angel dies. <laughs> and, nice. And please keep it fair and keep it fun. Nice. Thanks, guys, for having me on. Much appreciated. Much obliged. Nice. I think um That's fantastic, sir. Yeah, I think uh I think we gotta I think we gotta get we gotta do an all uh, Irish uh we gotta do a departed version of this next time. <laughs> uh, all right and uh Greg, is there any uh parting words uh that, that you wanna leave our, our listeners with as well as how they can get a hold of us? I'm I'm glad that we're getting some banter in, you know, two two hours in. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, I, I don't have any, any specific con- um, comments other than uh, uh, a quick, I guess, apology to some of our listeners that may, be looking for, may have been looking for some content over the course of December. We were, we were really busy, but uh, hopefully we will be back to our normal schedule. And uh, now that I'm, I'm back in town, uh, well, face, our Facebook fan page um, will have, have some more content. Uh, we should be getting spoilers now that now that uh, Watsi is also back uh, back to work after their December break, um, we should be getting some spoilers shortly. And uh, Yurden besieges around the corner, so yeah. 
So at least those are my uh, my my com- my uh, final comments. Other than uh, how to get a hold of us, which are as I just said on Facebook, uh, look for us for spikes. Uh, email us for spikes at gmail dot com. Uh, on Twitter, uh, for spikes. And then also you can find me on Four Spikes at uh, G3NGR3G. Um, yeah, talk to you guys later. See you guys.